We're potting rave tracks, rave tracks, rave tracks. Hey everybody, it's me, Jeremy Alice, and my friend Jesse, and this is Potting Rift Tracks, where we talk about Rift Tracks, and man did we have a doozy this episode, uh, this episode was Wonder Women. Not to be confused with DC Comics Wonder Woman, let's get that one out of the gate, of Bill. Course. Of course, not to be confused with the Bridget and Mary Joe riff of Wonder Woman 1984. Oh, that one's wonderful. But we're talking about this one, which is wonderful in its own way. Yeah. So, uh, let, do you think we should go over uh, some of the IMDb trivia first? Let's start off with the trivia and see where it goes from there. Okay, let's see. Uh, 15 bits of trivia. The man who gets hit by the car and knocked down to the ground during the car chase sequence wasn't a planned stunt. Fortunately, the man didn't get hurt. <laughs> that is that is a gem if you know that sequence. Um, I'm a little surprised to hear that. It's so out of nowhere. Like It's so surprising and shocking when it happens. Let's see, there was no crowd control for the car chase sequence throughout the marketplace. I can believe it. That one is very evident. That that, that was a that was just the marketplace crowd. Um, I would have been surprised if they weren't uh, choreographed, or if they were choreographed, I should say, um, mm-hmm. because their reactions just seem so genuine, and they seem there's just so many people. Yeah, you just knew that this was. This was done on on location without any sort of cordoning off any any extras. Oh, exactly. Let's see. The stunt women used in this film were all fourteen or fifteen year old girls who were accompanied by their grandmothers. The Filipino stuntmen refused to wear either elbow pads or knee pads. Now you see, I would have done so because the stunts in this movie are pretty gnarly. Absolutely, absolutely. I'm surprised at the ages of uh, some of the people working there. Yeah, me too. Let's see. Only Maria de Aragon had to be flown in for this film. All the other female cast members were already in the Philippines during doing other movies. So, there's that. Uh, Ross Hagen began production on a sequel called Warrior Women in late 1970s. This planned follow-up was never finished. And I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm going to go with that's a bad thing that that didn't happen. I would probably pick the opposite stance. This, this is a good thing. Just, just leave it closed off. I feel, you know, just thinking of your James Wen getting very self-aware. Um... Obviously, this was pre-internet, so this this still uh, could have been something, but a, a fun vision into the director's mind. But there, there's always that fear of self-awareness, just kind of tarnishing this uh, this second adventure. Yeah, the original title was "The Island of the Cannibal Women." No cannibalism in this film at all. 
No, you, you've got other body things, but capitalism isn't one of them. Yeah. Uh, the gun Ross Hagen uses was specifically made for this movie. Yeah, there are sawed-off shotguns, then there are sawed-off shotguns. This, this thing barely has a barrel. Star and producer Ross Hagen did the narration on the theatrical trailer, TV spots, and radio spots for this film. Uh, the foot chase and car chase took three days combined to shoot. I, I can believe it. Very believable. A disco at a hotel was used as the operating room location. <laughs> this, uh... This answers so many questions, actually. Exactly. Um, let's see. The mortuary, a mortuary was used as a location for Dr. Sue's fortress. And what better way to honor the dead than to film this movie in your mortuary? That was one nice-looking mortuary. That's all I have to say, uh... Uh, which location was it for uh, Dr. Seuss' compound? The whole thing? I think both the inside and outside. I don't really know. No, that's a very nice looking mortuary. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe a community college, I'd expect. But it's not a, not a mortuary. Mm -hmm. Let's see. The movie is part of the notorious uh, Schleifaz series. Thus, it was aired on October 16th, 2021, on the German TV station Tele5. Tele uh, Schlafes is a German abbreviation, means the worst films ever. In that series, two hosts present the entire movie and make fun of it throughout the movie. So that means that Germany has their own MST. I was going to say, that sounds like such a foreign concept. I don't know who would think of that. Who talks during movies? Of course. <laughs> but yes, they have their own MST, video jockeys, whatever your choose chosen rep is. Mm -hmm. I know that there's a Russian version, and I've seen bits and pieces of the Russian version, and aside from Tom and Crow being a dog and a penguin it's just uh mst in russian really that's delightful so let's uh let's go on to talk about the movie wonder women this has to be one of the most 70s movies ever Kind of funny because we were thinking between this and Guy from Harlem for this particular segment. It seems like the '70s was the flavor du jour, and this just feels so '70s. The camera work, very '70s. The disco. Yeah. First off, we mentioned the hotel with a disco. That should mm -hmm. probably indicate what era that was in. Um, it has all the. Uh, all the lack of basic safety concern or, or triggering viewers as the 70s did. Uh, you see, it even opens up with a shot of topless women, and it's just such a, such a strange experience that, that's the, okay, this is kind of that 
sleazy yeah. in the 70s. I mean, one of the riffs is that the movie is its own Rule 34. And I love that comment. No lies detected. Uh, I love the I love the karate in this movie. It's it's you you constrained to call it karate because it's really just like bizarre dancing. It looks like children fighting. Like they didn't have any concept of martial arts. I love the there's this whole infighting relationship developed among the Wonder Woman um, between between two of the characters, and that just. Uh, at the end, it culminates in a fight that looks so, so strange. Again, children fighting. This is a children's idea of karate. This is a children's idea of, of uh, just having these people have tension all filmed mm-hmm. through the eyes of the sleaziest adults. Yeah. Um, I think they even mention world's creepiest cinematographer, and that is on full display, and when I, when I hurt the ages, I just felt a little more uncomfortable with that. <laughs> yeah, um, God. This, this, is, this is not a comfortable sitting. Uh, it, it can be fun, especially with the rift, but comfortable mm. is not one of the words I ascribe to it. Yeah. I, th- I think this movie has to be the first movie with a highlight-based caper. You don't see the sport highlight uh, targeted in many other action movies, but here we are. Uh, one of the things I loved was the the coffin scene at the beginning when they're wheeling the guy around. The clown music in the background is just, like, what is going on? The soundtrack in this is very, very uh, misplaced in, in certain areas. Uh, they have the clown circus while they're doing this whole... Uh, uh, I'd say like oceans type getaway with the with the body, the transplanting of organs, things, and and it's just accompanied by this strange circus music that it it just kind of undermines what's going on on screen. So yeah, and then just the, the, let's talk about the opening. Apart from the uh, topless women, it's all to showcase the stunts of of what the Wonder Woman do, and they're just this strange montage of them assassinating yeah. people yeah um, it, it seems like we've just stumbled into the end of charlie's angels episode mm-hmm. um uh, discount charlie's angels yeah and it, it, it's just it's just surreal just to see how how out there this is maybe maybe this was intended as a series or again there was that sequel set up or there was that sequel uh that that could have been so maybe they want to go further with the Wonder Woman concept. And, you know, I, I could be fooled thinking this is just the highlights from the television series. <laughs> yeah, the... I I just adore all of the stupid costumes in this movie. Just how they look. Like, the, the fact that Dr. Sue, Nancy Quallen, dresses like what appears to be a nun in several scenes... A plastic-covered nun. Yeah, the plastic-covered nun. Uh, for, you know, with Wonder Woman on the mind, I was thinking she kind of had a Dr. Psycho... Uh, not a Dr. Dr. Poison kind of vibe. Yeah. Uh, not Dr. Psycho, though. I'm pretty sure Dr. Psycho was the cinematographer. Yeah. 
I'm sure Dr. Psycho would love this movie. Oh, he would love it. He would love it. Mm. I don't hate women! <laughs> then we, we get into Ross Hagen, who... One of my favorite riffs with him is... Of course they give him the grumbly voice like this. And, uh... They say he needs to get to his Lee Majors resembling convention. And those are always my favorite jokes, the somebody resembling convention. Those are always a delight. And I picked up on on one that I felt uh, just seeing the the corpse from that opening sequence. I had him uh, jotted down as bloated Robert Pattinson corpse <laughs> uh, being wheeled around. Uh, not not looking his best. Not 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 looking so great. And uh, one of the cast members is interesting. Uh, Vic Diaz, who's the little chubby guy. Uh, he's actually been in a lot of Filipino movies, and he's he's still alive. And uh, Quentin Tarantino who was a big fan of, like, Grindhouse movies, he called Vic Diaz the Peter Lorre of the Philippines. Was that the cab driver? Yeah. Oh, my. He, I, I, I adored his performance. He, he certainly had a lot of charm in, in what he, he was doing. He, he was this, as they call, they call him in the riff, the inexplicably loyal cab driver. Yeah. And He's not getting paid for those. Definitely deserves a raise after all this, and in, in terms of his job in the universe, then I am glad to hear that the actor himself is doing well. Um, he's just one of those standout actors. Um, uh, I do have two of them in mind, so, but he's he's one of them. He gives that. He, he has a perfect sense of comedy. He knows exactly what kind of movie he's in, mm-hmm. uh, and he 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 just delivers. He, he's he's great. Oh yeah. The uh, Rift Tracks fans will also know him as, as they call him, Chubby Satan in Beast of the Yellow Knight. <laughs> Which is a description I always love. Uh, his car, the thing is, I think over there they're called tuk-tuks. Um, they say it looks like the Muppet, like, the Muppet Band. Uh, tour van, which I love. Yeah, they, they, they have so many, they call it clown car at one point. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, 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 at least here, they, they all look like that. So, and it doesn't separate from the rest, but it's still funny just to see, uh, just to see them being carried around in this and to have an action sequence, no less, carried around in these. It's, uh, it's certainly strange. Yeah, and uh, we're getting to someone after the after that sequence. We're getting to the appearance of someone who I love and who I miss dearly because I just loved him as an actor, Sid Haig. Sid Haig is awesome, and at the end, he looks like he's dressed like Sebastian Shaw from the Hellfire Club. And uh, 
one a good a good line they have for him is uh somebody calls him like fish face and then the another woman says well i think he's sexy and they say well yeah for a rob zombie regular <laughs> and that always got me Oddly enough, that wasn't the actor I had in mind in terms of my favorites. I, I really enjoyed the performance from uh, Dr. Sue yeah. um, in spite of her plastic coverings. I think she she just had this this cold, calculating demeanor with uh, just how she was do, how she was conducting her little... And just to uh, spill the beans on this, this is all about organ transplant. Yeah. Yeah, the, the whole sporting event, it's not a great... It's a small detail. It's a footnote um, in terms of what's going on here. It's all about organ transplants and immortality and like these bizarre experiments straight out of uh, some body horror fiction. Mm-hmm. And in that, I actually would believe that uh, uh, the actor playing Dr. Sue would probably be one of these people. He has that that. Frankenstein type admiration for the body and recrafting it to something into perfection, and I I think she really sells the part, and that, that that's that's hard to do in a movie where yeah. it's mostly just a bunch of bikini cult communes uh, mm-hmm. con- conducting the shady operation. Uh, one of my favorite riffs is uh the Lloyd the guy from Lloyds of London is hiring Ross Hagen's character to uh find the highlight player and he says he's a very important player and Mike says he's the Jeff Dunham of Highlight <laughs> which is a line that really got me. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean in terms of that uh but that that was that that was funny to hear the Jeff Dunham uh, of highlight and again it's it's just strange to see just how much of this is focused on highlight and how little of it at the same time yeah like it's the backbone of the story but it never comes into place never once uh we do see a different sports but uh that that, that may be illegal yeah <laughs> that may be illegal by modern standards oh we will get to that um <laughs> One of the things I found out that was interesting was Ross Hagen, his character keeps saying, what's his name? Like, so that's why you uh, kidnapped that or what's his name. And the reason for this is because he kept forgetting the character's name. <laughs> this seems very believable. Uh, of course, the person who wants these, um, who wants all these organs is this old man who can, who wants Dr. Sue to put his brain in a young body. And I think the old man is played by Ross Hagen as well, under very unconvincing makeup. I would say it's unconvincing, but then you realize just how the stereotypical royalty invalid type stock character is. And I was like, this this kind of checks out. This, yeah. this checks out. Yeah. Um, the, uh, something I like about when they talk about him 
like how he looks, they say he looks like that sketch where Eddie Murphy did himself up to look like a white guy. <laughs> <laughs> no lies detected once again. Uh, there's there's a, a phrase used in this movie called the cream off the top. Like, oh, that, that guy's good. He's the cream off the top. And it, it's the cream of the crop. But they just say the cream off the top, which is puzzling. I mean, it's, it's, it's close enough. It's reminding me of uh, someone who would, like, let's say, be told knowledge is power, and they would say Francis Bacon. But they were assuming that they were saying France is bacon, not Francis Bacon, who originated the quote. Yeah. And so it would just be like, and most people just went along with it because it sounds so close. So I think cream of the top is probably just, uh, just oh, I, I heard it, I heard it. Of course I know, of course I know. Cream mm -hmm. of the top, not cream, cream of the crop. Because, you know, it's just one of, I, I just imagine that it's, it's a metaphor that eluded the script writer in some, in some form. Mm -hmm. uh, the, we, and the person who's the informant is a guy who pretends to be blind, like a hippie who dodged the draft. And I love the name of his, uh, his kind of shyster company is uh, Fagan Enterprises. Which is, you got to be smart to get that reference. That's a thinker. Oh yeah, that, that one's a hard one to get. That was, that was such a strange appearance there. Uh, they, they call him the neckbeard uh, in that <laughs> sequence. And I don't know if he doesn't belong in this film. It feels like every sort of 70s cliche belongs in this. But he, he definitely stands out even for the, for the limited screen time. That I, that I recall from the film. Hmm. Let's see. Uh, one of the characters I love is Wonton Charlie, who lives in the city of death. And when you hear the name, oh, it's Wonton Charlie from the city of death, you know you're going to trust that guy. <laughs> Very trustworthy name. I don't know why you wouldn't. And, uh... We, of course, now we're getting to the meat and potatoes, which is the cockfight. Ah, uh, yeah. There is a prolonged cockfight in this, and it is not pretty. It's just... Like, I remember you had... I remember you hadn't seen the movie, and I texted you warning you about the cockfight. And that text came in the night after I'd seen it, so I do appreciate the, the warning. But, uh, yeah, I was not expecting that. Um, <laughs> this is definitely a product of its time. And mm -hmm. um, I was really shocked to see that, that come into play. Um, that said, the Riffy game was just perfection, where they were saying this was Darren Aronofsky's... Uh, Chicken Little, and I could not <laughs> yeah. think of a better way to describe the cockfight. Um, 
but yeah, the there's a line that I love in that scene where their informant is speaking in a Philippine dialect, and uh, Ross Hagen keeps saying, "What is he saying? What is he saying?" And one of the things they go is, uh, "It's like, well, what is he saying?" He's he's asking why is it that sometimes Marvel's Agents of Shield is totally righteous, but other weeks is just kind of meh. And I love the reference. <laughs> I can't say I was expecting that reference. Uh, um, just that whole informant scene. It, it was this because uh, the whole cockfight is really predicated on the fact that there's an informant there, um, and then uh, at one point. Uh, if, if I'm, oh yes, one of the riffs was, my name is not Master Roshi and I cannot teach you the Kamehameha. Yeah. Uh, so that, that was great. And then, then, how is he taken out? Is he dispatched by the kid with the slingshot? If, if yeah, I yeah, I think it's the kid with the slingshot. That was, that was such a strange assassination sequence on top of an already strange setting. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think that was probably one of my favorite scenes, just what sort of dialogue they were giving the informants or with the, with the agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., the, not, no, I'm not Master Roshi. So, it, I, but remove the rifts, and what is this really trying to show? What is the cinematographer trying to really convey here? Just this deadly game, I assume? Um, I mean, but did that I have to be shown with the cockfighting? I, I don't know. Although, there's something weird about the cockfight, is that they play very tender music while it's happening, which is just so out of nowhere. It's the, the tender cockfight theme, is what I called it. That, that, yeah, that was strange, um, just thinking back. Um, for me, I really don't know. I don't think, I think this is just, this doesn't feel like it's meant to condemn the violence there that, that's going on in the background. Um, I feel there's probably the thematic significance, but I, I, I don't feel that's, again, meant to condemn this practice, which, you know, Obviously, we, 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 we're probably not, not, not too fond of that <laughs> coming with, with our contemporary sensibilities. Mm-hmm. But, uh, again, highly illegal uh, sports scene. So yeah. it, it was it's just strange. And I do, I do wonder if that's also another product of its time. Really. Well, I think at the time, and I think still now, I might be wrong, but cockfighting is legal in the Philippines. I may be wrong about that, but I think it still is. It'd be interesting to check up on that. Mm. Um, there's a scene in the... There's a scene in the lab that I really like where Mike says, uh, be sure to switch on all the migraine-inducing Buck Rogers crap. <laughs> and just Mike's way with words is beautiful. Mm-hmm. And the, the 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 phrase surgically heals sperm duct, which is not a collection of words you hear often in a movie. 
especially not an action movie. I, I I'd imagine that'd be a code to wake someone up from their uh, their programming. With yeah. how often that sentence comes up. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like Bucky, the Winter Soldier. Yes, that's exactly who you'd, who you'd wake up with that. Um, for me, uh, uh, just going to the lab. Um, it just it just started to feel uh, towards the end like the worst James Bond ever. Yeah. This this was the worst James Bond that we could possibly see. Um, uh, but that, that would be skipping some of the stranger parts, which, uh, just going into Mike, I, I, I wonder how, how he feels about sci-fi in general. He always seems to be the most cynical of the bunch when it comes to sci-fi, uh, most famously citing Phantom Menace as one of the worst movies of all time. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I don't know how he, fe- he feels about doing these sci-fi movies. I imagine he gets some sort of joy, but... I don't know if he'd actually sit down and say, oh, this is on me TV. Um, with that, there is a there is a notion that we get prolonged conversations and debates about being the, uh, the way sex handled in this sci-fi uh, universe. Yeah. Um, There's something interesting that I noticed while watching this. The assassin woman wearing the green dress. Um, recently, uh, we've been looking through old pictures in our house. And we found pictures of my mom from the 70s when she was younger. The woman in the green dress looks like my mom from the 70s. Oh. Which... Asked her if she was in the Philippines during that time. <laughs> uh, it, she was in Laos, not the Philippines, though. Uh, okay, but uh, maybe maybe they shopped at the same uh, the same catalog. <laughs> yeah, probably. Um, the bedroom sequence I love because Ross Hagen is just so disgusting and dyspeptic. When I saw him lying in bed, I just thought, he's just Mitchell. (laughs) Just Mitchell. Slightly more handsome. But Mitchell. Yeah, and uh, they have the fight where she's unable to shoot a bullet through a pillow. Mm -hmm. But she does end up uppercutting Ross in the dick, which is funny. I, I thought that was that was great. Uh, uh, few a uh, few sequences towards the beginning. Uh, just again going back to the way sex panels, where it's like these two gigolos and loose. And I, I just love the realistic depiction of underwear. It doesn't fit every contour of the body. Body. It's very baggy and mm-hmm. frankly unflattering. Yeah. And uh, you know we see these two gigolos at first, and it's, the line is, quote unquote. Hands off, bitch. She's mine, <laughs> and, or he's mine, uh, and it was just so so strange to see that. Um, going back to that, we see the the assassin in the green dress, who also in similarly frumpy underwear, and <laughs> she she's doing all these stunts and sequence in, in the sequence in heels, and I'm 
I am amazed and perplexed. Amazed in the fact that you can do that all <laughs> in those heels. Um, and th th this is the scene that kickstarts the whole the whole three day shot of the chase scene. So yeah, it, it is one really prolonged action sequence that, um, without looking at any watches, I'm wondering if it lasted 10 to 15 minutes. It, it lasts for a while. Although, one of the things that we need to focus on during uh, the chase scene is the thing that slithers by. <laughs> which dick? Cthulhu's dick, yes. <laughs> they... I remember reading somewhere what the hell that thing is. Like, it's an actual animal in the Philippines. But I forget what it is or where I read it. But it is so... It is, it, it's like seeing, like, a little eldritch thing slither around. It's so disconcerting. And, you know, this is a 10-15 minute action sequence, and that's probably, like, two, three seconds, but it's so... Mm -hmm. It's so surreal, uh, not not being familiar with this creature, that we're wondering what that slimy, crawly thing is. Uh, no one's no one is probably arguing with anyone saying that it is an eldritch abomination. <laughs> it's curling around, little little Cthulhu dick just slithering on <laughs> sidewalks in Manila. It's weird. Um... Let's see. Uh, like I said, I love the growly voice that they give to Ross Hagen. Like, he just always seems surly, which I think he probably was. Uh, there's the scene in, near the end with the compound where he shoots a woman in the face with his sawed-off shotgun. It is... Like, luckily, they don't, like, go into special effects with that scene. But it is very startling. Mm -hmm. just, just that whole compound escape is very strange because, uh, you know, our, our, our hero, everyone, uh, is just, uh, uh, just in a state where he's not exactly in the best frame of mind after the uh, brain probing or his brain sex and then he just goes through this whole delirious episode of just going going primal on everyone uh, there in the compound and that was one of the more startling actions uh, it, it does it, it feels like they just needed an action scene at, at least script wise it just feels they need an action scene it, it doesn't feel like we see the natural progression of him being willing to go through such violence. Uh, all this time he's escaping, and now he's taking on this big action hero role. Yeah, the... It's just... It's weird. The, the brain sex scene is so gross to me. Just, like, the looks on their faces and them writhing around. Now, I will get... Again, going back to giving credit to Dr. Sue, I love how she seemed to be having what would probably be more natural expression. Mm -hmm. And we see this guy, and he's just making all sorts of disgusting sort of expressions. 
and not particularly sleazy, but it seems more agonizing than pleasurable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and by the end of it, he's just drenched. You know, he's he's that meme of someone saying, or of, of that of that one woman saying, "Babe, it's time for this." And then it's like, "Yes, honey." He just looks so. He may, he may look like the bloated corpse of Robert Pattinson in the beginning by, by that point. And uh, he also looks frumpy. He, he, as a human being, at, at the end of the brain sex scene, he looks very frumpy. Um, mm-hmm. This whole sequence really gave, uh, gave me and my partner Demolition Man vibes, only the far, far less sexy version. <laughs> if we can even call the Demolition Man version sexy. <laughs> There's a line that I love when they're having dinner. To, there, there are several things about the dinner that I love. First off, one of the riffs is that they should serve roasted wing-wing, which is a great reference to Filipino action movies. Uh, for anyone who knows who wing-wing was. Um, they, ha- they keep talking about his magnificent sex. They, the fact that they call it uh, his sex instead of his penis is weird, and they they keep going on about it. And there's a line: Does he actively have an erection right now? What is going on? <laughs> uh, the my sex line, uh, both both me and my partner concluded, sounded like something out of a bad romance novel. Yeah. I don't think I've really heard my sex actively said as a phrase. Um, maybe some people do, uh, but it's usually confined to to a bit of literature. It's not really something that you see uh, so prominently. So I love just how much the riffers are having fun with the my sex line. Uh, mm-hmm. The active erection. Let's see, what else? Oh, right. Um when he when they when he's running away from the compound for well, I think it's the first time uh, he they say I hit my sex on that tree branch. <laughs> yeah. So I I don't know why in this organ transplant movie they they seem so focused on his virility, um, which might also be another term from a bad romance novel. Hmm. They mention transplanting an entire body including the brain. And it just reminded me of the ship of Theseus. I was thinking more get out, but I can see that as well. Yeah, like, but I mean, if you transplant the entire thing and there's nothing left of the original, that's the ship of Theseus. Mm-hmm. So. I, I got the implication that would be a new brain wired in, or an old brain in this case, for the purposes of immortality. Um, so I didn't feel it was completely ship of Theseus, but we, we don't get into much much science, and I, I don't think this is a very scientifically or philosophically uh, heavy film, but I, I do get where you're coming from with that. If we were to do whole body transplant and take that as literally as possible, it would just be a ship of Theseus. What, what, what exactly would remain of the original? There's, would there be the consciousness what, what, what would be left? And I don't really know. Again, well, I got Get Out vibes out of that sort of uh, 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 
conversation. I don't know if that's necessarily what they meant. We have, of course, the cage room specimens who are, if I remember, Colossus, Goliath, Tyrannosaurus, and Shangri-La. Mm -hmm. And like they, like they said, the cage room specimens and Cthulhu's dick are great band names. <laughs> Here's the cage room specimens starring Tyrannosaurus Rex on drums, Colossus on vocals. <laughs> I can see uh, Shangri-La. Shangri-La would be the cool guitarist. Yeah. Uh, then the bass guitarist would probably be the other one. <laughs> mm. um, so the effects on that one, um, you can tell they, they certainly put their budget towards that, but um, they did not look great. They do not look great, uh, particularly for Tyrannosaurus Rex. Yeah, he, he just looks, he doesn't look lizard-like. He's like, he's veiny for one thing. It's just kind of gross. strange, strange creatures. It, it seemed like this was meant to be a larger a larger sequence of, of, of events just because it, it just comes out of nowhere, it seems. I mean, it feels like this is the pinnacle of what, what they're talking about with the, with the organ transplants and so showing that she's this kind of Mangala type mm -hmm. uh, uh, scientist. Um, and yeah, it still seems strange. It, it, it's the sci-fi angle that maybe wasn't needed, but I'm glad was included. And yeah. I'm glad because we get to see these strange amalgams, the eight brain one, the Tyrannosaurus just steals it for me. Uh, that, that, that one's my favorite. It's just this weird, uh, looks like a cross between a human and a Slee stack. Yeah, yeah, I know what you mean. Uh... I love Sid Haig's character, Gregorius. The fact that he gets away at the end and has a sword cane is really cool. Like, if they did make a sequel to this, I would have liked to have seen him come back, which he probably would have. I think that would have been great. Um, so we're, we're basically on the compound part. Of what... Uh... I forget, I have this note, and I forget, maybe you can clarify some of the things for me, but uh, I think this is during the brain sex thing, they say brain sex three-way. Was, was that, I think that was Colossus imposing himself, or something of that nature, just the rippers <laughs> say that he was up for that. Something like that. It was a great line, and mm. I'm glad I remember the line, even if I don't remember the context. <laughs> and then oh uh this is during the final escape there um we see all the women uh chasing after uh our our star sports player and uh, uh she just pulls back her dress and she's wearing this typical underwear and attached to it is a shuriken yeah and they just say ninja underpants <laughs> yeah ninja underpants <laughs> stupid line that, that, that cracked me up when watching it. 
Uh, and I do have a descriptor for the end cap. I, we said childlike. What I had written down was inebriated. This is what happens at a party at 3 a.m. when uh, when they're when they're finally just letting it out, and it's not exactly elegant in any way, shape, or form. It's it's just <laughs> it's such a strange fight that barely established. Mm-hmm. And then we see the woman in the green dress fighting, uh, uh, who I assume is her superior, and that's it. Yeah. I think it's meant to be an epic Kurosawa-type uh, battle that just comes across as something you might see at the back of a Applebee's parking lot. <laughs> nice description. Uh, and again, like looking at like the sequel uh, uh, possibilities, Dr. Sue just teleports away. She never gets her comeuppance. And uh, during the part where Ross is doing the, is playing chess with the sexy lady, and they're doing like the Austin Powers sexy chess moves, uh, the, the Wonder Woman come back and apparently kill Ross. Like, I don't know what happens. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was probably supposed to lead into a sequel that just didn't happen. Felt more like a conclusion, but a very. Uh, I, I think just to quote uh, the uh, what was it, the Millions Eyes of Sumeru? How can something end simultaneously with a bang and a whimper? Yeah. Um, because you know this comes off of the very big action scene when he finally breaks out. Uh, you see all the women chasing after him with the uncomfortable amount of chafing that Bill keeps bringing up. Mm-hmm. That must truly have happened, and then. Uh, oh, and one of the other riffs when they're chasing them, just they were saying the women look like Kiss without Kabuki. They they say, uh, uh, what is it? Kiss loses something without the Kabuki makeup. Yeah, the and, the cage room specimens look like Kiss without the Kabuki makeup. Yes, they do. Probably Martin J. Gene Simmons. Martin J. Gene Simmons is Tyrannosaurus Rex. <laughs> no, no offense, Gene Simmons. <laughs> but uh, that that was great. Um, and then all of a sudden, it just transitions to this happiest ending with the Austin Powers chess scene uh, with poolside vodka. Um, and then just that blank expression on the, on the woman assassin's face, just constantly being riffed by Mike with the duh. And it seems, I, I hate to say it, but it feels like they got this, this, Poor actor at the last minute. Um, yeah. Maybe she's just as baffled with the script as we are. Um, so I don't know if I inherently blame her for that. And yeah. then, then the Wonder Woman show up. Um, I felt that was a conclusion. I, I did like the telepathic Dr. Sue. I, I don't know if it was meant to be telepathy or just voiceover. Saying you'll never escape the Wonder Woman. Or something arch like that. And it was... I thought that was a good ending, but simultaneously just confusing. Why didn't they just capture him at the compound? Uh, we, we, could, we could have been spared the Austin Powers chess scene. Is what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. Although I guess, you know, like they said in the trivia, they kept it open for a sequel. It would have been interesting to see what, what the sequel may have been. Um, 
I'm really glad that Dr. Sue got away because I thought she was a delight as a, yeah. as a character. Um, and I would have liked to see more. Hopefully we would have seen more of that world's most dedicated cabbie. Um, I'm, mm-hmm. I'm not too sure what direction it would have taken. Uh, maybe they'll find a new sport. To, maybe they'll go after curlers next. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I imagine it'd probably be dictated more by whoever their client is and, you know, maybe aired more towards the immortality aspect. But this is all speculation. It would have been... I think more... more. I'd probably want to see more of it than I would want to see less. Uh, maybe, maybe we could do without some of the sleazy cinematography. Because yeah. that, was, that was pretty sleazy. Although you look at some of the movies on riff tracks, like even the really, really horrible ones have had sequels, like Future War and Future Force, um, Karate Cop and Omega Cop, Killer Be Killed and Kill and Kill Again. Like these films where you can't imagine a sequel being made of them, but then it's like, well, it wouldn't cost much. So, I guess it's something of a wise investment. Mm-hmm. And I imagine they're, they're like, oh, we got a surprise check from Riff Track to cover this movie. Okay, I'm not going to say no. Yeah. Um, I don't know how big those Riff Track checks are, but I'm sure they're better than zero, which mm-hmm. is probably what most people would say these movies are worth. Yeah. Um, so I, I, it would have been nice to see that sequel, uh, or nice to see maybe some extension or anything like that. And uh, one of the things that makes me a uh, uh, little sad, but also a little grateful for uh, things like Rift Tracks or MST, is that more often than not, these these movies just kind of fade into obscurity. And yeah. you know whether they're good or bad, it's just great to have them. I I believe that. I, and I say this after watching something abysmal like uh, uh, Pause of Fury, the animated Blazing Saddles remake, but I'm, I'm more glad uh, that, um, that these things exist rather than just have them be lost media altogether. Uh, like I, I know uh, I have a copy of The Puma Man. I, I was very thrilled with that movie, and the only way to get that was through MST3K, uh, uh, the box set, so I was, I was very happy for that, and I I do like, in some ways, that this preserves these movies, whether or not, uh, regardless of whether or not they seem deserving or anything like that. Um, and th- this was a fun fun trip through the seventies, if if not very surreal and sleazy. Sleazy seems to be the word du jour there. Mm. <laughs> I know what you mean about the kind of preservation aspect of MST and Rift Tracks. That's why I'm glad that distribution companies like uh, American Genre Film National, uh, Shout Factory, Scream Factory, Vinegar Syndrome, I'm glad that these things exist because, like, lost media bugs me even if it's a bad lost media. Mm-hmm. And right now we seem to be entering a new digital phase of that um, with like, let's say your cancellations of your Batgirl or 
uh, I think I'd mentioned uh, uh, to you on message just, oh, we were catching up with Infinity Train and all of a sudden it's gone. So I guess we caught that at the right time. But uh, mm. just seeing that, you know, we were so dependent now on, so, on some digital platforms that uh, a lot of this content could potentially disappear. And uh, I, I, I wouldn't want that. Um, I, I'd like to see what these creators have in mind. Uh, and even if it's bad, I, I'd rather it exist rather than have it just fade into obscurity. Yeah, I've, I've heard that they're like kind of underground pockets of collectors who are getting a lot of this digital stuff and burning them onto DVDs, like just as a way of archiving. Mm -hmm. And like, it's, it's video piracy, but it's doing so for a greater good, which I think mm -hmm. is noble. Yeah, I mean, uh, I, you know, as MST3K fans, I think we, we agree circulating the tapes is okay. Um, so circulating that, I don't think it's bad so long as you're not in it for the wrong reasons, whether it's profit or anything like that. Yeah. But to just kind of expand the archives or just expand the fandom attached to these media or exposure to the media, um, it could be it could be a great thing. So I, I don't see something inherently bad uh, so long as you're you're doing it for uh, personal reasons or a community and not trying to seek a quick buck. Yeah, I mean. You look at video piracy and Nosferatu exists today because one of the people who worked on it stacked a copy and kept it because they were going to destroy all copies because Bram Stoker's widow was like, you have to get rid of this. It's too close to Dracula. And so there you go. Like people ask, well, what good does video piracy do? And like, well, it saved Nosferatu. Mm -hmm. And then just, I, I'm a huge Doctor Who fan. Uh, so many of the original episodes are wiped out uh, from the archives, and they survived because uh, children at the time were recording their TVs, getting those soundtracks done. Uh, some of them have fallen into the hands of collectors who uh, managed to save them uh, mm -hmm. at the last minute. And now I think there's even some kind of official uh, official recognition of that. Uh, what would probably be considered video piracy is recognized as something that could be good and beneficial in terms of restoring that archive as, uh, as the people who look for these lost episodes uh, seem to be working in conjunction with the BBC, I, I guess trying to atone for past sins there. But, um, That's cool. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to see just how beneficial these things can be. Um, and the medium of riffing is great because it exposes people to things they probably otherwise wouldn't watch while also just having a good time. Because I, I think even though I've mentioned Mike's disdain for sci-fi as it seems, mm -hmm. my perception that he has a disdain for sci-fi, um, you see so much great things come out of it in terms of creativity and in terms of um, in terms of just um, making sure there's more audience exposure audience engagement um, yeah. I I think that's part of the beauty of this realm and if, if you'd have told me that this whole thing uh, with a Wonder Woman would have ended with some beautiful takeaway like this I don't think I would have 
<laughs> I would have seen that. But it is, it is beautiful, and it is something that uh, that I I feel genuinely enthusiastic to to uh, be one of the and part of the audience for. Oh yeah, I mean, I think it's great that stuff like this is being preserved. And the good thing about riff tracks and MST is that um, a lot of these people who were in these movies who probably didn't think anything about these movies now aren't well known. Well, well they're, they're known. You know, like, you have the people who now go to conventions because these movies have been rediscovered, and I think that's really beautiful. I really think so too, and then there's you know you have your your great little love stories like Space Mutiny um, yeah. coming out of that. Um, it's it's just it's just wonderful to see such such a richness uh, beyond the beyond the strips as you see different actors, big names, small names, any any actor, just really start to um, uh, just come to embrace some of this and embrace this newfound. Uh, this newfound admiration for the film, whether because even even if it is not the admiration anyone seeks, uh, perhaps uh, I, I don't think anyone actively seeks to be the next Torgo. Um, mm -hmm. it, it is it is nice to see just how how pe how people come to take the, on that and really share share their stories of their lives, their their families and things like that. And again, this doesn't just share movies; it shares personal lived experiences that makes it all the more richer as a community oh yeah like yeah stories of you know people meeting their partners through this people making friends through this people being inspired to make their own movies through this which I think is really cool people being inspired to make their own movies from this sound like the the writers who think that they have that imposter syndrome and uh, then they read through Fifty Shades of Grey and then they fault flip through that and they say, I've got this. I've yeah. got this. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I think that th those may be some of those filmmakers and hopefully they, they can catch some of the pratfalls as well as some of the strengths of, of these films because they are not without merits. Um, even though sometimes that merit's harder to find than, you know, your Godfathers or any your Rosebud, Citizen uh, um, Kane, uh, you 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 still find strengths there, and um, uh, I I think that's 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 something of a good takeaway. Yeah, I really think so. So, so Wonder Woman. <laughs> yes, Wonder Woman. Uh, it's a uh, getting past the weird real life violence of the movie it's a great episode that people should watch mm -hmm. if again this would probably come with quite a few content warnings uh, yeah if if you're prudish about anything like nudity or the violence from the cockfights uh, anything like that um this this one probably won't be one for you um the story i know personally bored my partner um just because it's 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 underplayed the, the way it mm -hmm. comes about, but the riffs 
they are they are great and there, there's a reason that this one is really loved among the riff track community yeah so do you have anything else to say about Wonder Woman this is this is certainly a movie <laughs> yes it is it, um, technically it's a movie it is technically a movie it is one of the movies ever made um with it, um, I guess just to take it without the riff, this is, um, I think this was, I, I heard somewhere, through a very cursory scroll, so take that with a mountain of salt, um, that this was meant to be more of a pastiche, a more humorous take on these 70s action movies. Hmm. And maybe, maybe you all can see that. It, it, I think it's, I, I said the word pastiche, I believe, which actually may be more accurate instead of parody. Yeah. Uh, because this seems almost indistinguishable from similar action movies, um, which is the distinction between pastiche and parody. Parodies mm -hmm. were humor. Pastiche is usually just a carbon copy. Yeah. Um, I feel this was meant to be a parody, but comes off more as a pastiche, and um, it's, it's kind of a good dilution of the era. You know, you've got your sci-fi, you've got your action, you've got your sleaze. Um, mm -hmm. So this is a... This is an interesting combination of 70s cinema as seen through a very small production, um, as seen through maybe someone who just wanted to try their hand at really getting into that cultural zeitgeist and oddly enough succeeded without really bringing anything uh, that dated horribly, but rather landmarks of the era. Yeah. I, I think it's an interesting movie that exists. Uh, I'm pretty glad it exists just because of how weird it is. Basically, uh, we, we always talk about how weird these movies are. And the, 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 that's part of their charm. Just They have their own distinctive flavor of strangeness. That I'm, I'm glad we get to experience with Mike, Kevin, Bill... We get to experience with Mary, Joe, and Bridget. We get to experience with even Frank and Trace on occasion with Rip mm -hmm. Rex. Mm -hmm. Well, that is Wonder Woman, folks. Uh, I think it's going to be about all for us. I believe so. Yeah. So, uh, all you folks out there... Keep watching the riffs, and uh, keep having fun and keep laughing. Bye, everyone. Goodbye.